Hello, and welcome to the Third Space Podcast, episode number 32. This is Bennett, and in this episode, Daniel and I go on an adventure. An adventure in etymology. That's right, Adventures in Etymology makes its second appearance. This time, instead of talking about words, we talk about a few idioms, uh, and we see if Daniel can guess where they originated. It's pretty fun. We talk a little bit about administrative BS that can happen at work, uh, processes and procedures that can be really annoying. And then we talk about tipping. Tipping is a kind of controversial topic in some respects because you have a bunch of servers and hairdressers and other people who feel passionately that tipping should exist and they really like the practice. And then you have other people who think that tipping is awkward and why don't people just get paid the right amount So we kind of dig into that a little bit. We talk about how I worked at a restaurant and Daniel's experiences tipping, and we kind of try to come to a conclusion on whether tipping should exist or not. So we thought it was pretty interesting. I hope you'll enjoy it, and the episode will begin now. It's a podcast about stuff. Third space. Yeah. That was good teamwork. accurate and you kind of jumped in and we didn't even prep for it but you know yeah. it's it, it's called third space it is a podcast and it's about stuff. about stuff well or why ideas, don't why don't you know? why don't this time we do something else inst- oh, instead of stuff or ideas uh okay well you go first out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well transition um <laughs> You know, as you know, this was a college kickoff weekend, a big, big day uh, yeah. yesterday. And in, in fact, uh, students sports going is, back to school, kicking off the new school year. Yeah, yeah. College football. Oh, f- uh, yes. Specifically. Yeah, yes, yeah. Big, right. big time uh, returning kind of after, a, uh, you know, I think a lot of the stadiums are not, they're not letting in. I mean, they're letting in lots of people instead of having restrictions and all of that. I don't know. People are doing different things. It's a hot mess. But everyone was super excited. That's just definitely the case. And so, and I know you know all this because yeah. you were you were hot hot off the your Heels. seat, you know, of seat. your presses. Yeah, My, you were just yeah. you were yeah, really into it. And so, and historians, as you know, were like, sports historians were calling it the biggest um, kickoff day ever in terms of you know wow. for all the reasons I'm sure you already know. So yes. I was just thinking about what was you, I'll let you just go ahead and tell me about your day and how 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 your interpretation of events went down. Um, well, you know, I think the first obvious thing that anyone would have to say is what a game, right? Yeah, like yeah, and you, you know the one I'm referring to, like did when not you have, disappoint when you have a big day like this, a historic day, because as you said, historians said something about it which yeah makes it historic <laughs> by and definition like, yeah. and then on top of that to have a game such as that whew, yeah i mean did you see wallace yeah. did you see wallace and that play that was yeah never seen anything like it anyway it was great it was great it was great touchdown wonderful can't Touchdowns, believe it there was some, there were some that of pass, those you know that run yeah the two teams that match up you know, that heck of a matchup. Yeah, where was their defense at, though? You know? Like, you, there's a lot of pressure on, at, you know, for the kickoff. 
And yeah. where's the defense yeah. is falling apart? It's just well, you know? I gotta tell you, you say defense, but I say offense. Like, wow. you know, uh, I th- I was okay with the defense, but that offense I think could have been more offensive. You know, they were just well, I've certainly found it offensive. I got you. Got to keep in mind these are eighteen year old kids running around on the on the on the uh, court ball on the oh, court no. field. You know, yeah, yeah, and and they and they they got their nerves just like anybody else. You got you got hundreds of fans watching. And I was also fans watching. I was also really pleased to see that they finally implemented some of my suggestions. The conveyor belts they had rolled out this year, <laughs> the trampolines and such. I was really, I was really pleased with that. That would be historic. <laughs> Instead, it was just matchups with teams playing. Yeah, the on same grass, rules in the same game on grass, running across and, lines and tossing, you know, frisbees and whatever they do. I gotta tell you, one team won in in every matchup, I believe. So. How many teams lost in all uh, one same... in every matchup? Oh, sure. Well, all right. Well, but, you know, you can't ch- you can't change it up every year, you know. <laughs> I mean, you can. It just you won't. They won't. Yep, you won't. You won't. <laughs> well, maybe maybe you know, there's still a lot of time left before the Super Bowl, so maybe this year for the Super Bowl. The kickoff wasn't so great, but the Super Bowl, they'll be able to. <laughs> there's a long way to go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> You're right about that. From college kickoff to Super Bowl, there is a there is distance between that. Right. So maybe they'll, well, there's still time to turn it around this year, this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so how about, well, let me ask you this. How ready for an adventure are you? Uh... Very. All right. That's what I like to hear. How about an adventure in etymology? Oh, man. I am this ready. Look at this. I am this ready. Wow. That's conveys a lot of readiness. I can't do this much longer. Thank thank you for acknowledging. (laughs) Man. Good. That was impressive. You could feel how... What I was doing. Historic readiness. It's ready. (laughs) Readiness historians will be commenting on that for sure. A a, a bit idea we should do is an entire skit that should be absolutely visual and just do it anyway. (laughs) Do it totally auditorily. Like like art art review or something. (laughs) Take a look at this painting. I don't know. Yeah. Then it reviews art. It would probably be just as valuable audio only as visual. (laughs) I just think that's actually an idea. Let's explore that later. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, that's funny. All right. uh, Adventures in etymology. The most exciting adventure one can embark on um i actually love etymology thinking it through and it's super satisfying when the word origin fits yeah. what it should in some way um i agree yeah. i really like it uh, you know it's it's one of those things that i imagine people would, could joke about and snigger about and say ah, etymology bleh. but like really it is satisfying when there's a word and it just makes sense you know like it's yep. It's component parts, like they make sense, and you don't even think about it. But when you do, you can tie it all back and go, "Oh, that's why that is like that." It's very satisfying. And when the story, and the story, when it makes sense, and I never thought about it before, then I have a new relationship with the word in some ways because mm. it, it'll be in the back of my mind when I use it in the future. I just right. I appreciate that, and and I think understanding the etymology helps you um, helps you use you think it. About, we for do sure. you, you, to use it. We have re- we do have relationships with words, and of course we do. I mean, phrases and stuff get, you get word, popular. Word and they lovers, drop out. word lovers, words smiths, word 
word people. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> but but I just really like words. Uh, well, so this, this time this time I have instead of singular words, I have idioms. Uh, so I have three idioms that will 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 do. So the etymology. And I forget how. Could idioms. you explain that? Yeah. So you're gonna give me a phrase. I'm gonna yep. guess the etymology, and then you're gonna and you you're gonna propose three yeah. potential backgrounds, and maybe I guess at first, and then you. you um, I think. Give me through or what? No, I think I'll just give you the three. I'm sure okay, that gotcha. w- whatever you would guess would probably be within one of the three that I pick. Yeah, uh, maybe. Right, cool. Um. And that'll keep keep you from going too far off. It's a really fun game. I appreciate that you're willing to put in the work of this too. I just anyway. I it's just not. Really it's not. Like it. It's not that much work, and it's kind of fun it's a coming up game. Coming up with the possibilities. So yeah. without further ado, uh, the first adventure uh, is the idiom "last ditch effort." Have you heard of this one? Yeah, just the final moment. You you know you're desperate a little bit, and you try mm-hmm. to pull a victory or wow. succeed in some way it's a last yeah, ditch, last ditch like a, a hail mary or something like that yeah i don't i don't understand but anyway <laughs> okay. anyway uh some kind of religious ritual or something but <laughs> yeah all right anyway so i've got three potential etymologies for the idiom last ditch effort the first um is the first possibility is that it was an idiom originating with the british troops in World War One, they were fighting in the trenches, uh, as you know, and so it refers to a final, a final brave push, um, uh, uh, trying to dash to the last ditch, the last trench before facing the sense, enemy. Yeah. So a last ditch effort, make an effort to get to that last ditch. So that's the first option. Yep. The second one is uh, it's a pretty a pretty direct translation. It's uh, it, it, for the last effort to be ditched. So it's kind of like uh, the last huh. ditch, the last ditch effort, the last one you discard, the last one you ditch or throw away. So it's process of elimination, basically. So obvious, yet I never considered that one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the third option that it could be um, is that it's uh, it was actually inspired by a phrase uttered by William of Orange, who was a historical figure who defended against a French invasion in the late 1600s. Uh, he actually said. I will die in the last ditch. So it was kind of a statement of defiance, holding the last line of defense. So William of Orange, die in the last ditch, last ditch effort. So th- those William are the three. Of Orange. <laughs> okay, uh, they're all legitimately enticing for their own reasons. When you said last ditch effort, uh, I thought war metaphor, and two of those have sort of war. Like it is the last ditch we will. So, and I was most attracted to number one. My gut says number one. That's what I, if I were making up a definition, though, I would have made up something like number one. Um, you're particularly clever with your definitions, and you gave the extra little details with William of Orange. or, or what, And it just, ah, uh, like it could be real because it sounds so real, but I think that extra little detail with the person uh, just has that sort of Bennett tomfoolery about it. Hmm. Um Maybe, and the orange is just clever enough to poke at my ignorance, and like you could put a silly word there, but not too silly, and that's why I think you made that one up. Um, ditched efforts. Um, last, I'm trying to think if that actually makes sense on its like it kind of does in a fuzzy way, but let me think about that for a second. It's the last ditch effort. Um, 
it doesn't quite make sense, right? Like it almost makes sense. Well, it, because it probably came from the last ditched effort, last ditched, ditched effort. effort, and then dropped the yeah yeah. Now it makes sense with that. So okay, that's kind of back in the running. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go with. I don't know if you n- numbered them, but num- or lettered them. A one, <laughs> uh, the British troops going like to hold the line for their last, making a last, their last effort in the ditch last ditch effort. effort. Yeah, tell me. All right, tell me. Wrong. Ah. It was okay. uh, it was the William of Orange quote. Dang that it! it. <laughs> That's where it came Dang from. It. So. Uh, All right, yeah. I'll have to eat my words there. Um, I was hoping I was right and making you chuckle, going, "Man, he really, he really nailed how I like worked no. that out." Um, no, no. Could, not, could you read me the history of that again so I can remember this? Uh, so yeah, I did, I'm not a historian of William of Orange, but yeah, it was a French. There was a French invasion. I just I don't remember where William of Orange is from. That's kind of embarrassing. Probably in England, and uh, French were invading the late 1600s, and he was making this valiant defense and he said i will die in the last ditch you know essentially i'm never giving in yep yep okay no, that was it so william of orange william of orange now you know now you know last ditch effort you'll think william of orange of course i probably won't that one won't stick i'll, I'll still think about the other two yeah i think i think that the uh, world war one trenches that one we should just all agree that that's a better that's how uh, it happened. fake fake origin <laughs> yeah yeah so do you do you look up do you make up the examples and then look up the real one or do yes you, yeah okay. I, I make them up first and then i look up the real because it would be reason. hard to not yeah 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 because yeah. if you knew the real one it's hard it may be harder it well i was, I was actually you. annoyed with this one because i came up with the world war one trenches first and then i looked up the real one and uh, another dying another in a ditch, war another one. war yeah. one but then i was like eh, whatever go with it all right, so the the next uh, the next one the next adventure is that another <laughs> idiom on cloud nine. I'm sure, you've heard of that one, right? Yep, when you're super happy. Yep. So uh, the first option for this is that it's a it's a biblical idiom, or its origins are biblical, partially anyway. So Saint Peter is the ninth apostle, uh, and as you probably know, it's said that he attends the gates of heaven, um, and yep. so he's. Artistically, that's he's always pictured in the clouds next to the gates of heaven. So Saint Peter's cloud is the ninth cloud, um, and when one is on cloud nine, he's in the presence of heaven. So it's kind of okay. this link to uh, being in the presence of happiness and beauty and all of this stuff because you're on cloud nine. I like the gates that of one. heaven. The second option is that uh, actually in the 1895 International Cloud Atlas. There were ten types, ten types of clouds pictured, and the fluffiest type of cloud, cumulonimbus, was the ninth listed cloud <laughs> in this particular encyclopedia. And so the phrase "on cloud nine, it was meant to refer to the fanciful notion of how comfortable it might be to lie on such a fluffy cloud. The the true. <laughs> Uh, expert on clouds. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, yeah. this, this is the authority. This is the source. The 1895 <laughs> International Cloud Atlas. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, and the uh, the last option is that it's a drug-related idiom. It originated in the 1960s. So it was widely believed at that time that the maximum level of intoxication from weed was attained by the ninth inhalation. And so to be on cloud nine, it refers to the feeling of euphoria after you exhale the ninth cloud of Mary Jo smoke. 
Yeah, that, I. That's creative and doing a drug reference. It works, but it just doesn't. I'm strongly pulled toward number one. Um, yeah, be, the gates of heaven, cloud nine. I mean, and in fact, when when you say I'm on cloud nine, that heavenly link. I don't know if I'm pulling from somewhere like I've heard. If I'm wrong here, I'd bet some money on this. Not because I feel like I know the answer, like, oh, definitely this is right. But like I'm pulling from somewhere in my brain that says I've, I have been exposed to that before, to that answer. I don't know how. I couldn't tell you when. And so I feel almost like I'm cheating. But if I'm wrong, hey, I'm, I'm making that part up. I just, right. it feels so right to me. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I'm going with the biblical reference. Uh, but let me talk that through uh, really quick because, yeah, that just feels like I've heard it before. Don't know if it was in a side remark on these an educational YouTube video. Don't know. Um, or, um, and then I'm, I'm blanking on the second option right now. The International uh, Cloud Atlas, oh, 19, yeah. 18, that, that 1895. Has, that has Bennett written all over it. Uh, and, and well, the, don't the, the don't third, forget don't forget William of Orange and the lesson yes, that you learned. Yes, I was wrong about that too. <laughs> um, I, I mean, part of the gamification for me is trying to figure out your brain and what would Bennett say. Well, at, how at would this Bennett point, skies too. Yeah, at know, this point, say. every game we play, that's really the game we're playing. <laughs> that's um, our friendship. It's that's really, that's how yeah. it works. How is Bennett trying to trick me? <laughs> Um, so I'm sticking with uh, the, the biblical reference. Wrong. Really? Oh yes, man, you're, really? You're, I'm really wrong. Okay, you're, well you're wrong. I've made up that I'm right about like, like that, that that I've heard that before. Yeah, Gosh. you're wrong, and it's actually the 1895 International Cloud Atlas. Dang, man! I'm thinking uh, uh, all but, these uh, very but, ones that are super bended. <laughs> but I will Go be. Ahead. But I will. I will also tell you that. The uh, the citation for that was uncertain. So actually, the or- the original origins of on cloud nine aren't known for sure. That's that's the oldest reference that people can come up come up with. That was um, that one made me laugh. <laughs> like, yeah, isn't it ridiculous? One? It made yes. me laugh when I found it. I was like, are you kidding me? The ninth one in this random old encyclopedia or atlas or whatever. The ninth one. Someone Deep said, oh, I'm on cloud nine. I, I thought the whole thing was. Made up. Like, I thought you made up that there was an atlas of clouds. Am I am I silly for even thinking? Because, like, yes, there, it would be in a book somewhere, but the whole book would not be about clouds. It would be about skies and atmospheres, and then they would have a section or a chapter on clouds and I stuff know, like man. that. I wouldn't a- think there would be a cloud atlas, you know? Like, come 18, on. 1895 was a good good year for clouds. That was, <laughs> yeah. That's it was real funny. popular, you know? Just, like, we, we just, had a vampire phase. We had a werewolf phase. You know, there's a cloud phase. It was just back there a little ways. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm o for two, and I've, I've the one. You're o for six, thro- you d- or whatever. It, you d- you haven't gotten uh, adventures in etymology oh, right ever. Yet I'm a little I'm a little uh, sad about that. Um, I kind of like it. <laughs> well, as an English teacher, I feel like I should be a little better. I mean, I've just I have looked up etymology of terms before and words. I'm curious about that stuff. But I'll tell you, it doesn't stick. Like I'd like to revisit in maybe a year or so some of the ones that you've given me the answers just to see if I remember the real answer. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a quick version, a revisit, just to see if I did I actually learn or not. Because I can't right. tell you what the other ones were right now. Yeah. Um, but And I still might be attracted to the biblical illusion one in the future. Like I, I don't know. It just fits so nicely in my brain. I was like, that is it. Not right. not. 
So now I'm the next answer. I'm probably just going to go with the one I think you made up. <laughs> Serve me well. Because if you had let me choose two out of three, I would yeah. have avoided both right. actual answers so far. So I'm a little, I'm way off today. All right. right. I'm ready. I'm cracking my knuckles. All right. I'm, I'm doing this. Whoa. Right Calm down. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. Third, third and final adventure, cut and run. Have you heard of this one? Cut and run? Yeah, it's basically like, it's, it's there's a little bit of like, well, okay, I won't speculate, but it, but it means to just leave quickly mm-hmm. and perhaps avoid some losses too. Yeah. Like, yep. like, like, hey, we better cut and run. Like, let's get out of here now. Is, is yep, that makes sense based on what I've heard. I've heard this one, the way I've heard it used. I don't so. hear people use it all that often, but yeah. Hey, man, got to cut and run. Like, yeah. All right, okay. the, uh, the first potential option is that the, the full phrase uh, used to be cut and run like the Ripper. Uh, and so it's an idiom that references the infamous killer Jack the Ripper, who was a okay. London serial killer from the late 1800s. He was famous for murdering women with a knife. So he was, And he was also never caught, unsolved mystery or whatever. So he would always cut and run. They know his name. They even know his name and he wasn't caught. Well, it, was, you know, it kind of became a, a urban... Um, yeah. An urban legend, whatever. Um, Jack the Ripper. You know, he, there have been lots of TV shows and you know stuff. There's probably like a Sherlock Holmes episode or like a Doctor Who or something. You know, Jack the Ripper is a cultural icon. Yeah. Anyway, cut, he would always cut, cut and, and run. run. So, so cut and run That's like the morbid. Ripper. Morbid. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the British are morbid. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Second, second option. Um, it's an idiom with nautical origins. So it started with the British Navy in the 1800s, and it describes a hasty escape or retreat in which there's no time to weigh anchor, uh, and they instead have to cut the rope uh, and get out of there before the crew could reel it in. Okay. Believable enough, too. I just don't feel attracted to either one in terms of like, oh, this is my answer. So, let's see. The third one might win you over. Uh, This one is, uh, it's it's an idiom from the early U.S. film industry, actually. So when Hollywood movies were competing for a box office draw back in the 50s and 60s, um, back then one of the most painstaking and time-consuming parts of filmmaking was the editing process because the film had to be manually handled and cut and then pasted back together. And so a lot of times you know, pieces would be damaged and they'd have to be reshot or whatever. And so when the time or money ran out, editors, they would hastily perform their final cuts take their pay, and then leave before there would be any consequences. So they were cutting and running. It's cut and run. Um, that's where it originated. <sighs> I like all three answers. Um, on second thought, the cut and run like the Ripper. I, I'm just trying to think, are there other idiomatic expressions where we like like the ripper i've heard that but run like the like, and i might be making this up again like even run like the ripper have i heard that before like a messed I've up not, version of it i've not heard of that but maybe run like the ripper um None of them are extraordinarily like I'm like oh this one's been it's made up stuff so I can't really choose one based on that, and I just I don't think it's the movie industry one. Uh, I'm gonna do cut and run like the Ripper. I'm doing it. It's morbid, just morbid enough. Um, doesn't fall into your s- sense of humor as much. Maybe I don't know. Uh, so it doesn't feel of Bennett, uh, but maybe we'll we'll find out. Am I right? 
No, you're wrong. Ah! <laughs> so mad. <laughs> it's it. the uh, it's the British Navy one. Cut and run. Cut oh, the that's anchor. The least likely to me. Again, <laughs> I, I, I changed tactics. Now I made it the most boring one. <laughs> Keep me guessing. It just cut the anchor and, and leave. Does it also? So wait. <clears throat> Cut and run. I'm realizing is it get in and out? It's like we got to get in and out. We got to cut and run. We got to do our thing. I mean, or or is that not it? No, nah. it's not about well, entering and exiting. It's just exiting quickly. Yeah, it's just yeah, getting out quickly. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I won't remember that one. <laughs> That's actually. I thought that was it when I when I thought about it first. I was like, huh. I wonder if it's something to do with. Like cutting the, I can't believe I chose Jack the Ripper when I actually think about it. Cutting that, one, that one kind of makes sense a little bit. Well, when you add like the Ripper, there's a lot of idioms that have been cut and shortened and, you know, the expression gets, and it does make sense. Uh, stab and run wouldn't, doesn't, I'm just, I'm annoyed that I haven't reasoned through <laughs> accurately any but, of these. But well, they're all, you know, I try to at least make them all reasonable somewhat. Yes. So they're you actually have, impressive. Your you have an excuse. Yeah. So you just, we'll just build you up to make me feel less bad. Okay. <laughs> all right. You know what? I'm all right with that. I, I can, your I can answers make are strong uh, and believable. And I think there is a game, there's some sort of board game that's predicated on you making up some answers on the spot, uh, offering, like, everyone gets a definite, one person's going to read the true definition of a term or whatever. So uh, do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what it is. Uh, uh, that sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't think I've played it. I mean, it, we're essentially you. You have is it is it a part of uh, cranium? It could perhaps be that. I, I've it would played, be very only... difficult to to make up a belief like it, on the spot because it's nice that you can go maybe borrow half truths or you could look up if there even was an atlas on clouds or something, you know, um, right? Or just make it up, I suppose. But that just takes more talent, is all I'm saying. Uh, uh, I mean, with talent. with idioms, it's a lot easier because they're little stories. You know, you just yeah. make a little story about it, and so that's not so I bad. Like when it, when it's the word, just a word, then it's it's a little bit harder because um, you have to you kind of have to know a little bit of you know Latin or etymology or at least I be like able to link similar words. We all know education, like gamifying an experience, can help you learn. I'd be curious in this situation when you're exposed to three plausible you know truths behind a, a word or a phrase did i is it, is it a good learning tactic or is it actually a poor learning tactic to expose someone to to because you're giving me multiple links to the, and i'm probably just going to be attracted to the one that i'm you know for whatever reason whatever biases or latent uh, beliefs i have i'm going to latch on to the most attractive one to me and that'll like so I'll, you actually might be teaching me wrong things <laughs> yeah. that i will i'm serious taught, i'm just curious i taught you wrong that. as a joke <laughs> what isn't there some movie or reference i taught them wrong as a joke i forget what no, it is but that's what I'm, I'm gonna if i ever have kids well, i'm just gonna do that so isn't um like one could argue that it's more important to know its actual meaning and how it's used rather than where where it came from, right? So if you if it makes you remember the definition of a word or you know the the way an idiom should be used, then maybe maybe the new story is actually better. There's more utility in it rather than knowing some arcane historical story or something. Right. Knowing the background of it is more of trivia and 
the utility of it is the well the value in a way uh, so yeah I'm, I'm with you that maybe you still are learning you're just uh making interesting connections that muddy it up because i won't remember yeah i'm just very curious about that uh because like you developing the wrong answers too i think you've done some work so now you have have built a relationship with those terms and you'll remember uh i bet you'll remember the right one though pretty well and i'd be less likely to Uh maybe Uh, think about think about how easy it was for or well how, e- how easy it is for people to insert these alternate histories that make sense. You can make reasonable, you can tell reasonable stories about the past or about where a word came from that is widely convincing and it's wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah. what? I wonder how many instances, you know, they say the victor writes the history or whatever. Like, how many instances are there where people have told a story that fits? you know, some of the facts and it makes sense. Maybe it even makes more sense than what really happened. And it, you know, it, it just kind of covered over the truth. And that's what we all know and think now. Kind of crazy. In some ways, it's just nicer than the truth. And I mean that in a very yeah. open way. It just fits better. It's like, right. you know what, we'll go with that. Like, what's the harm? Right, and I, right. And, and the actual question is, I mean that sincerely, what is the harm? Because it seems like the harm is... Not telling the truth is a big deal, or like not mm-hmm. caring about the actuality, it can have severe consequences. Um, but well, and then also on the other side, it's like, is it? It, it does it? You know? Well, it's kind of like uh, you know the phenomenon of whitewashing or something. You know, if you whitewash history, then yeah, you you overlook the flaws and the mistakes, and the flaws and the mistakes are that's what we learn from. So if you you know you hide all of that ugly, grisly stuff, then well, now history doesn't contain as many lessons, so. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, adventures. Adventures. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, about words and relationships, and I like it. Yeah, that's fun. I like adventures in etymology. I've, I've got a big page full of words, uh, and some of them, some of them complete, but most of them not complete. I'll have to go. It's tempting to want to like keep going or wear it out, but I like doing like three at a time. Yeah, you know? I don't, I don't have enough more prepared. Um, I, I want to keep them thematically linked if I can manage. But what I'll do is I'll just, you know, I'll be thinking or listening to something or reading a book, and I'll come across a word and be like, I wonder where that word came from, and I'll just write it down and it makes it on the list. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good way to do it too. Just pops in your brain, record it. Yeah. Where do you record stuff? Like, how do you how do you manage? How do you organize? Do you do you use a calendar or like do you do you have sticky notes when you write or a, a I know you keep a personal journal digitally, but that's different than like one off ideas and things like that. When something pops in your head, what do you do? Um, it depends where I am. Uh, but for stuff related to the podcast, I have a notes page on, on my your, phone on your phone okay yeah and i just pull it up and i jot i type it in real quick um and then uh, i have a google drive with you know documents and stuff in there and i transfer it all to there for you know when it's getting ready to be discussed so like the the document that i have for adventures in etymology is just a word document essentially with a bunch of words on it huh, makes sense <laughs> yeah but it just I'm just rethinking. I, I like organization and efficiency, and you and I have talked about that quite a bit. And in my new job, uh, you know, at, with administrative roles, I have a lot of students that I 
see and speak to and need to write down since I don't get to see them every day if I don't remember that say they play volleyball or have so you, you have like the the Michael Scott um uh like Rolodex you know where yeah, he just a Rolodex on the back <laughs> green green light music. gay and whatever his son died or something like that you know like, <laughs> yeah, just, whatever just they were appropriate it just seems odd <laughs> like yeah <laughs> no um i i'm using one note anyway i don't want to linger on this because it's kind of boring but like it is it's interesting to think big picture that no longer just creating a google doc like for each student that it's not fast to access and uh it's just an unusual, like, I guess my needs are not that unusual, but if I need to access one of 80 people, uh, you should you have, you should have like access to their, so OneNote really works with that. So I can just type their name in and it finds their page is what it's, you know, called. Anyway, yeah. boring I, stuff. I just, yeah. It's just keeping never... track of following up with people. Oh, I need to check in with them in a week. And like, I could set it on a calendar, but that seems laborious. I don't know. Just trying to figure that out. And I'm not, it's not perfect yet. So I'm open to suggestions. And I didn't yeah. know if you had any sort of intense organizational tool recommendations. No, no I, okay. I just use use my brain. <laughs> well, that's the um, thing is I don't. I I used to be able to do that with what, <laughs> and, and now it's just yeah, it's too hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My my job um, doesn't it doesn't doesn't require meticulous note taking. Um, that's the thing. So, Mine is used to not be juggling, uh, you know, possibly 40 things. And, and if you're juggling 40 things, you just got to go, okay, look, I got to figure out how to. And there yeah. are 40 small things. The world isn't going to fall apart if you miss one or two. But, like, you, you should. You should be on it. So. Right. Yeah, I for work, I just, you know, I have a calendar. I don't really use it all that much because I don't have an overwhelming number of meetings. Um, and my day is mostly unstructured. But, um I I have a uh, just a you know notepad, the computer application Notepad plus plus, and I just you know have a list a to do list essentially. Here's what I did today. Here's what I'm gonna try to do today. Here are things that I need to do in the future ambiguously, and I just maintain it so that I can yeah. always look at it and go, oh, that's what I did yesterday. I forgot about that. Um, yeah. And catch up. So nothing too intense. I'm not a big fan of sticky notes and stuff. Um, uh, don't use them that much. I try. I'm a fan of the idea of them. Like I romanticize their utility, and then they just kind of aren't that great in actuality. So, yeah, you know, these are the kind of conversations that are boring to me now. But like, I might be interested in seeing in the future and go, "Oh, this is before I figured out how to do this, this, and this." Or like, this is a real life moment in in (laughs) terms of, in some ways, these podcasts are are time capsules i think and, and it is. to see where we're at and like cherishing something like organization like I w- is that a value i'll have gotten better at or, or like or lightened up on to some degree and said ah, you know because i mean i'm almost uptight about organization like, and keep, i've been keeping my calendar diligently because i have all these meetings and you can just look at my calendar and it's crazy looking with different colors all over the place and stuff like that for the different you know mm-hmm. this is for faculty meetings this is for english meetings this is for meeting with students this is for meeting with you know whatever like honor council and student forum and this is for my admin counseling team this is for just just the deans and i have all these different colors 30 minute block is for managing my calendar <laughs> yeah uh, well okay that's what's funny too is that What's annoying to me is things that like, all right, organize a meeting for with the teachers of this student. So I got to go look up and 
get get who the teachers are, and so that takes a second, uh, and it can it takes time to organize, mm-hmm. uh, and usually, I don't know, organizations f- is ultimately faster. That's the whole point of it. Um, but I'm just I'm there's a balance point. Like you can you can go overboard and alphabetize everything, you know, and it's it's wasted effort to alphabetize everything you have, everything you own, you know, it's wasted effort. So you have to pick the path of greatest efficiency or um, greatest returns. Uh, you organize to the point where you're not wasting time organizing anymore. And I'm curious if you would find this annoying or just part of the business, but like, let's say on next or later this month, we're going to have like a thing where some parents can come in in the morning and have some cookie or scones and like, and we're going to talk to them about, about their kids' educational experience. And we're going to talk to them for like 45 minutes. So we have to, we're in control of this. So we have to, uh, (laughs) these are the sorts of steps that I wouldn't have thought of that are kind of silly. So obviously you have to reserve the space, the actual space. So there's a form for that. Then you have to, um, check in with people surrounding that space so like the band in the morning comes and practices nearby and there's some other things so to make sure that they aren't like that this won't be loud while they're you know we're trying to talk to parents and the band's practicing right nearby like and then we have to get uh for parking we're going to get some golf carts for, for for any of the parents who might not be as mobile or just would like to ride in a golf cart Jeez. and then we have to fill out a form for a table to put the scones on. Then we have to actually fill out a form for the scones themselves. Oh. Uh, and so, the, so we're What about napkins? With like, Don't forget the napkin um, form. Yeah, the N- that's actually, 102 form. A, a napkin and cutlery and juice. Don't forget juice. Oh, juice too. Like, do you, And how many. And let's say... Wait, has the juice could... committee has the juice committee approved <laughs> new requisitions for this year yet? <laughs> so that's what's so fun. And then and then we have to actually we have all these account numbers that we don't know who has the account numbers so you're contacting four people. Um yeah, contact so and so and they're like, Oh, I don't have it, contact so and so. Oh, I don't have it. Oh, this space is actually you you're supposed to check the master calendar for updates, but yet uh... this one might be someone didn't update it for this so we had to change a date and it's just stuff that's like i just want to have some like this seems like it should just be like hey hey parents show up on this date and then i double check is this place open yep okay we're good instead and i i I, by the way i do agree with like okay make it nice get some get some food out there some juice out there that'd be nice but the idea of having to fill out a table um and that's uh, over that's it's all separate that's too much yeah this seems like the kind of thing where you could go you could, you know, pick up and call and say, "Hey, secretary, I'm having parents visit at this time. Like, prepare this." And it's just someone's job to arrange this stuff, not you. Oh, and there's another one to do the tech stuff, so they're going to record it and put it on the website too. So, like, literally, that's a that's a fit. So that's it. I'm saying there's six or seven different players in this when it should just be like, "Yeah, hey, can we have this on this date?" Uh, and we'll prep the content because what's happening is and this is what's funny to me is all of that prep that goes in and that's you know that's a that's some amount of work it's not like intellectually laborious but it is laborious in other rights and so mm-hmm. we haven't even designed the content yet we'll be oh we worry about that like three days before because <laughs> we just have to spend all this energy making it happen and i'm like ah, that's Backwards. that's to, yeah, it's like we should have something to say, and then 
I mean, of course, like we do already have something to say that from years past, we do this every year. It's an annual sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, it's just funny to me. It's just it's annoying to for that. I'm it's not a, I'm not annoyed at anyone in particular. And everyone's been supportive. It's just like, is this really what we have to do to to throw a little thing? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm big on organization like you are. But but I really I don't think it's that I'm big on organization as much as I am big on efficiency and that means that I get really frustrated with procedure and process. Like when you have to fill out a ton of forms and paperwork and like tickets and nonsense, like that just makes me go, why don't you just get out of my way and let me do my job? Yeah. How about that? Just if I, if I'm a teacher at the school, I know where the tables are that are foldable and collapsible. Just trust me to like go grab one beforehand. Yeah, I guess I can... that's what's annoying. And you know, you, people can possibly and maybe even rightly judge this as arrogance but like a lot of these rules are in place for idiots you know like the, <laughs> the reason why you can't just go get a table is because you know back in the 1895 table atlas or whatever you know someone grabbed the wrong table and it fell on them and you know they became broke big... it or they never returned it or you know whatever it's, it's really it... mistrust they think everyone's idiots and so they <clears> think we're going to steal the table or break the table or in a you know not set it up right and it'll collapse or and it's like it's a freaking fold out t- standard table well, that, Do you yeah, know what and, i mean yeah, yeah and and so uh, you know this is probably the uh, this is what managers and administrators and stuff have to think about and that's why i don't want to ever be one of those people but and you're filling like, out the form and you're like do you want the cloth on it do you want the white oh or the God. blue cloth uh, or do you want it just like, to, you know, like i don't i mean just, they just they have to think about this and so you know you, you can put yourself in the shoes of you know, one of these people, a manager, administrator, whatever, and you delegate and, you know, Timmy goes to get the table and it falls on him and he breaks his toe and the table cracks in half and the event is ruined. And you think, (laughs) I never want this to happen again. So now we're going to have a table request form and there's going to be a process for it because sooner or later we're going to get another Timmy and he's going to, you know, break, he he would break the table, not if we have the form. And so you end up with all of this stuff, but you never think about or even try to quantify the cost of the operation, the cost of the forms, the annoyance that you're putting all of the competent people through, like the back and forth, the waste of my day that it took yeah. to have a meeting so someone could show me all of these forms and you like, know and, I, and their day too to show me the forms and we're clicking around to find the forms under you know the correct website spot. Like that's the thing too. That takes a while to locate the forms, and it's like, oh wait, that's the 2020 form. There's a new 2021 right. form. Jesus. I'm not kidding. These are all real moments. <laughs> God, that's just so infuriating. Like I've um at, at work, um I had I've had to sit through training before on process improvement and stuff, and it was just mind numbing. And I think I fundamentally disagree with a lot of it, um because. One of the things that they they say, it's a lesson really, is that it's bad business practice to just have a bunch of superstar employees who are extremely competent experts and they don't document or they don't do all the process. They just say, tell me what to do and I will do it. And they get it done to a high degree of excellence. And they say, that's bad. That's not good. Don't do your business that way. And you know, the reasoning makes sense in a way, because if, you know, that person leaves, now there's a gap and no one can fill it and they don't know how to do what that person right. did pre- previously. Right, your setback is severe. There's no system. There's no, yeah, right. you're just you're and, vulnerable. And, yeah. and their argument is that, you know, if you put all these processes in place, then even Timmy, the idiot, can do a decent enough job. You know, and if you have five Timmys, 
all following the process, then you're going to be safe. Even if your, you know, your superstar leaves, um, then, you know, your business will be able to continue. And while that's true, like, I, I guess sure. their, their value is scalability, which I also understand. If you're going to have a large business, then you can't just rely on a bunch of superstars because they're kind of rare. You're not going to have a business full of superstars. You're going to have a couple of superstars and a bunch of Timmies. And yeah. so, you know, you got to have process. But, like, I would rather be in an organization that is just a small organization with just the competent people. <laughs> I just don't yeah. want to work with the Timmies. Well, what and, I don't, your... and, and the thing is they drag down the competent people and make you fill out a ton exactly. of paper. You're eliminating forms. superstars. You're saying yeah, right. I can't. You're, yeah, you're sacrificing equalizing superstars to equalize. Yeah, yeah, you're equalizing the field. Everyone is equally competent. But what that really means is everyone is equally incompetent, essentially, because everyone has to fill out the forms and have their time wasted and everything. So. Right. Because if, well, to me, back to the, the real world example, if we were fa- focusing on the content and we had a month to do that, I would really try to make the, the presentation like wow the parents. Um but a lot of animations the, and I mean I don't know. Use I mean, let's comic be honest, sans, got good fonts. <laughs> you're you're I mean, I could give a TED talk style, like practice my speech and do something. Micro poem, write a micro poem for him and start it yeah. off with that. Have the lights low and lead lead with the micro poem before you say anything else. And because that's deep that's really deep. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, a pencil, I mean, a paper, the, a student's heart. We are all knowledge. There you go. <laughs> Micro poem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the lights um, come up and everyone claps and to welcome you and say, well, I am, I am, you introduce yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, that sounds I'm, great. I, I'm on board. I, Will you send me a calendar invite for this? I, I need I'll put it on some my calendar. dry ice. How much dry ice can <laughs> we get? <laughs> Where's the latest dry ice form? We only have the, the 2004 version. The last time we used it for the prom. So, yeah, I, like I would have forgotten. I would have ordered scones. If I were thinking about it, this is true. Like if, if we didn't have all this... We don't have a checklist anywhere either. So like this year we're making a checklist in order to make sure we do get the table and go ahead and have a hyperlink to that form and stuff like that. It's so, it's mundane, but like I want to, I would have forgotten to order, get a table. I would have ordered the scones. I would have gotten the place. <laughs> I would have contacted all the necessary people and the scones would have shown up. And they're like, where do we put these? I don't know. But also I should be able to just, we should have a table. Accessible. So yeah. Accessible, like, like, there's there's storage spots everywhere and they place them wisely and like look this place that has events frequently should have a table nearby and that when i reserve the space they just say reserving the space allows you access to the tables and the this that and the other like that's right. what i think anyway just like common sense and then if the table's missing just look who recently had the space so you can still trace that if you're concerned about you know, Timmy stealing tables or less likely to steal, but more likely to just misplacing break or, or breaking Misplace them. Or, yeah, said, Oh, I forgot to put it back. Or, or I went yeah, and not putting one them back. The, like, I get that you can't just have, here are our tables, teachers. If you ever need one, come grab one. I, I think that's a little too. And how often does that need to happen anyway? 
but but if you I mean the rarity space, of it makes it seem like that would be an okay system then you know? so actually like, here's the thing is the people doing this are in my position and a few others so this is rare so just at the beginning of the year train us all like have have the uh the faculty or not the faculty the uh, uh maintenance people that are in control of all the that this specific stuff have them train us in it and, yeah uh, i mean like it that just, kind of thing yeah it's not hard anyway. to do that like i mean i when i um, used to work in the office, you know, still doing programming, but like it, we didn't have a huge number of employees. And so, you know, we had the, a paper towel roll in the bathroom for, you know, drying your hands. And we actually had a roll yeah. of paper towels and we got trained, you know, it was just pointed out on our first day or whatever. Here's the bathroom. There's the paper towels. If you use the last paper towel and they open the cabinet, here's the rest of the paper towels, put another one on there. And it's like, okay, that's reasonable. Yes. I can, like, it's super easy. I can do that. We don't have a paper towel person. You know, it's not their yes. duty to just, you know, they don't have a checklist and it says, oh, it's the 31st, time to go manage the paper towels. Like, we didn't have that. There, there's exactly. no you don't process. Need that. You don't need a paper towels at, you know, school.edu or whatever. <laughs> like, and you right. email these people. This is yeah, what you right. kind of have. Like, oh, we yeah. also have to, here's another thing is we have security. So we have to email the company allied security and all of this. It's just like, <clears throat> wow, all, just to let them know we're having this event. So, um, and arrange and parking and make, like, it just is a, that's like, I mean, I've probably listed six, seven, eight things, like different different hands in it just to do that and it's like well that's why you get paid the big bucks yeah yeah the big bucks so (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway enough about efficiency speaking of big bucks um i have a a topic that i want to discuss with you i think it's been we've talked about it before but it's been a long time so i want to know what is your tipping experience like like what how do you treat tipping when do you tip people how much do you tip what do you feel about it what do you think um. Oh yeah. I'll. Ju- I guess I'll just respond. I tend to. I'll. I'll just throw a bunch of ideas out there, and we can take whatever sticks. But I tend to tip well, and and you know, twenty percent rounded up. Um. If I get, frankly, if I get average. So this is my behavior, not necessarily what I, there is some friction with how I believe my beliefs on tipping and how I actually behave. Yeah, that's but, what I want to dig into eventually. But at first, I just want to know where you're at. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I will do 20% plus if it's, and just go up, like round up. I don't do change and that sort of stuff. Um, and and then... So you always excellent. tip an, an even dollar amount pretty yeah, much? Yeah. yeah. And so if, if it was a, if it was a, let's say the, the bill was $10.20, I'm going to give, uh, I think I ended up giving like $3, you know, instead, so I always round up. Um hmm. And I, if they're very bad, I, I'm uncomfortable, but like, yeah, you have to be pretty dang bad too, uh, which can happen more, sadly, more than it should. I mean, but I don't know. I don't know. We could debate that too. But I, you could be very average. You could be slightly below average. You could even get into, as long as there's a bell curve, if you're at the very low end of average, like pretty close to I'm frustrated, but fine. Who knows? Maybe they're having a bad day. So there's a lot of presumption of, goodwill that I give before mm-hmm. I it affects the tip um, mm-hmm. and if they go out of their way and like I love I, I can be needy like, like I will ask for extra sauces and stuff right. and 
if they bring me lots of extra sauces and don't charge, I get annoyed if it's like, oh, especially if they don't mention it. But I think it's tacky to charge for sauces. Uh, and too. so I like, I will, you know, if they're very good and they charge me for the sauces, I still just stick at the 20%. <laughs> um, so do you so. ever, so do you ever go above and beyond that? Like if you have someone excellent, very friendly and helpful on the menu, do you, do you tip even more than that, or do you just yeah, say, "Oh, I'm a I'm a good tipper anyway. I already tip twenty percent, so you get twenty percent." No, I do. Up. I give more than that. I'll I'll uh, and then I'm not calculating percentage as much as I will calculate like like look if it's at a, let's say it's at a bar and it's not that nice, but they talked a lot with us, and so if the bill was fifty bucks, um, I might give like just 15 extra dollars like i don't think in terms of okay out of 50 but i'm like hey 15 is just a nice thing you know um okay. I'll, i will i'll just so i just think or or you know a 10 you know i guess it would be 10 dollars that would be anyway I, so i don't well, I yes. try to just say what is a gift to them instead of percentage i kind of get away from that and i think uh-huh. like what's just reasonable but it's different if it's a nice like a really nice restaurant uh it's funny that I say that because you go anywhere. Like I went to a bar last night just to watch the football game, and you know had a oh, couple yeah. drinks and appetite. And sixty something dollars. Yeah, yeah. We were all, we were all. Everyone was at the, <laughs> um, but sixty dollars for a hole in the wall place. Like that's just how. So even so, it's expensive to eat out. Um, and okay, so some more interesting areas. So you get an idea that I'm just a, what I consider a pretty good tipper. I'm willing to give more, and it's unlikely that I give less. Mm-hmm. Um, then we get into these areas where you would call them like fast casual or like five guys or, um, yeah. you know, you walk up and they have, so the receipts will have like a tip situation going on and you're mm-hmm. a little like, well, what do I do here? Uh, and I'm literally, you're just going to hand me the food. I tend to give a dollar just to assuage my guilt, I guess. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. And, and a dollar is not going to break the bank or anything. And there I've, uh, I've. It's really just this social, like for me, it's like, all right, I've given a dollar so I can socially check that box. I definitely did not misstep uh, or make anyone mad. And so I'm willing to pay a dollar to feel more comfortable. But yeah. this is where the friction is. I don't think they deserve that necessarily. Right, right. Um, and in fact, you could make these arguments, you know, in Europe, there's not a lot of tipping or anything. But the service is terrible. And uh-huh. so I can't help but link the two. And maybe that's not because of of tipping or maybe it is, but, um, I'm willing to keep this system if it means that I think we generally get pretty good service and I, it's an experience whenever, whenever I've been kind of outside of America, really it's, they treat it less as an experience. Like they're just there to bring you the food if they want to, it's almost their attitude. Right. Uh, Japan wasn't that way, but it was still not a, I'm here to entertain as well or be part of your experience tonight. Like that just didn't, that what didn't seem as much of, of what they were going for. So, so I, um, I like that system in place that a good waiter kind of reads the room and says, yeah, you want me to make the jokes or, or, stick around or you want me to be discreet they like a good waiter does that and so i'm okay with the tipping system existing but we need to figure out where do we draw the line because Mm -hmm. personal services i get it like so tattoos that's very personal and intimate and you talk so yeah tipping seems appropriate i guess you know um so let me ask um, maybe so well first one thing i would i would say when you talk about incentives and making 
you know, incentivizing good service. Yeah, I worked in a restaurant for a number of years, and so I, you know, I got tips. I worked for tips. I was trying to read the room, like you say, and it was a kind of nice restaurant. Um, and I worked in a uh, in a bar as well, so kind of got two different flavors of it. And I will tell you this: eventually, you acclimate and you you expect a tip. And if you don't get the tip, then you're annoyed. Or if you get a little, if you get less of a tip than you think you deserved, if you get a 15% tip, then it's kind of like, really? I, w- I did better than that. And you become accustomed to the tip. Yeah. Yeah. And so it becomes less of an incentive because almost no one tips exceptionally and really almost no one tips very poorly. And so it's always right there in the middle and you end up just doing your job at whatever level of competence you have, you know, whatever level of skill you have. Well, if your heart's in it, then you do a good job. If your heart's not in it, then you do a bad job. And so, like, I think that that the incentives, uh, essentially, you know, um, from, from what I read, I've never been to Europe, but from what I read, um, you know, in North Europe, they don't tip that much, but elsewhere it's, you know, 10% tip-ish um, is okay to do. Um, but it seems like over time, once people acclimate to that 10% or whatever, then, you know, in order to show your appreciation for someone who you thought did a really good job, oh, you're 15% so that it actually makes a difference. And they go, ah, oh, that was great. Because you, you, you want it to be a gift, like you say. And then yeah. eventually, everyone wants everyone to be nice and happy and not have that guilt that you say. And so everyone tips 15% and, you know, it just raises and raises. Like, actually, when I worked in a restaurant... 15% is what I would consider an average. And I think that's what tw- you remember you saying that, yeah. And 20% like 20% was like, a, oh, hey, they must have really liked me. You know, they, they had a great time or something like that. Right. And then what you're saying now, I don't, I mean, this is just two data points, but it sounds like now 20% is kind of the average. And if someone does a really good job, then it's, you know, 25%. I try to set up. my 20% above average intentionally. I want to be a res- respectable tipper like like my identity as a nice guy is on the line i guess <laughs> to some degree i know i know i mean I'm, I'm just trying to be explicit it is goofy as it sounds but um so I have wanna... you being being a nice guy who identifies as a good tipper have you have you ever stiffed someone have you ever just not left a tip um yes i'm trying to think of but like we're talking about i would not be stiff it would be like well deserved like like they were taking an hour i saw them over at the side we could not get the check from them even at the end and so i just left cash that would like cover the the this happened at a waffle house once i I could just they would not come over and despite us like trying to wave them down and so we just left the cash that maybe the tip would have ended up being pennies or whatever Mm. um because like you actually go to pay at the register there, but like they just wouldn't come over, uh, so we just left it on the table and left. Um, right. And then, uh, whether they've messed up the food order or seemed annoyed or smirk or like just make it, you've really failed as a waiter if you're making me uncomfortable to sort of say, oh, uh, hey, I needed an extra napkin, so, and if, if I feel I have to kind of go, sorry. Uh, like yeah. no, I just needed a napkin, and I'm—I <laughs> mean, I don't know. Like, and a thought occurred to me, by the way, that the general like debate about when to tip and not to tip for which services and which don't. Like, if you—if level of intimacy is the standard, you know. Uh, well, first of all, like as a teacher, I'm, <laughs> I 
yeah, I was going to ask you intimate, right? It, that, that's intimate and, and important work and all of that. So why not tip? And then, well, I don't need it because I take pride in my work. So are we suggesting that you can't take pride in being a, like serving food? Because let's, I mean, yeah. to be really frank, it, 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 yeah, it's not as glorious of work or it's not as self, it's not as self-evidently rewarding on its surface that like me, like me helping enlighten a kid or providing an opportunity for them to truly see some, you know, get an education. That's awesome. And then, you know, bringing the food to, to a customer, it, it's fundamentally not as, at least to me. Sorry, just, just, yeah. not as... you, you've got your biases, obviously. I mean, I could try to paint a picture <laughs> and say you're wrong. Like a teacher is just a glorified worksheet passer-outer, and that's what you do. <laughs> you sit in front of the class. Students don't want to be there. You lecture them about... cheeseburgers, it's worksheets. <laughs> yeah, it's just worksheets. It's just facts that they don't care about. They're forced to be there. You don't even grade them, right? You just stamp an 80 or whatever on their paper. The curve is 75 points anyway. And so it's all just kind of putting them through the motions. Whereas a waiter, a good waiter... Like, well, let's first be real. Without food, you die. And so there's this necessary component to dining, and and it's <laughs> okay. a it's a it's a ritualizing of the biological necessity of eating. You sit yeah. down at the table. There's the ritual of you know the choosing the meal and the bringing it out, and the waiter is the one who facilitates all of this. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. there's this traditional and ritual component to it. They're the ones facilitating this sort. One could consider it even a spiritual sort of moment, you know, where you're interacting closely with your table mates and you're in conversation. Maybe it's a date, you know, it could be maybe someone is about to propose. They're they're setting yeah. the stage for these important life moments. And, you know, you're just going to say that that's not glorious or glamorous okay. and you're well, looking down on these people condescendingly. Oh, well, in first your, of all, I'm not, I'm not doing your that. Your haughty teacher <laughs> arrogance. Yeah, and right. and you soothe over teacher. you <laughs> soothe over this by saying, "Huh, well, you can have twenty five percent of my bill." <laughs> no, okay. I mean, you're being goofy, but there is there is okay. The current tipping culture is saying no. There's no pride pride to be had in your work, so we have to incentivize no, yeah. you by other means. And, right, like, yes. and there's a serious point there because I think you can find pride in it. And I think, by the way. These well, really nice restaurants, or act, not nice restaurants, or not, you have an opportunity to shape someone's experience in, in these small moments. And I do yeah. think that, and I've had better service at often at these, at, you know, uh, uh, chilies or just a nice, a nice human being who's sincerely. I mean, there's always going to be that tip on the table between you. Like, what, what, why are they? But, but not when they like if they're not busy and they decide to have a real conversation with you, you can kind of tell. Yeah. Um, and it's like sincerity is easy to read. Sure, and, definitely. Uh, and and then there is the what you were saying, almost the spiritual. It's silly, but like there's a the fan, really fancy restaurants that when you're there for three hours and they really are invested in your experience. Like they are trained. You know, there's this one restaurant in Tampa that will train you to. Uh, they, you have to be working there for like five years. You have to go out to the lo- the farm where they locally grow their stuff. And like you have to learn <laughs> about every single aspect of the meal. And it gets almost, I, I mean, I chuckle because it seems silly, but like- We had to do art. a little of that. What? We had to do that. Oh, we didn't go out to farms, but we had training days where we would come in and everything on the menu would be prepared 
and you know we would essentially get a lesson on how it was made every all the ingredients what's in it we would, get the ta- we would get the taste everything we did the same thing for wine taste all the wines get the professional wine you know charlatan to come in and tell us that it tastes <laughs> like Wait, tastes like grass i'm blanking on the term charlatanier or Char- charlatanier <laughs> something like that it's a sommelier sommelier that's charlatanier <laughs> anyway, they come in and tell us how much it tastes like, you know, goat toes or grass roots <laughs> or whatever. And we're like, oh, right. wow. Yes, I, yeah, I smell that. You see the notes of, of oh, I can taste oh, the, yeah. Yeah, just whatever. Tastes um, like sunscreen. Mm. So, but the benefit is if we take our job seriously, take pride in it and see the value, like... And, and and the pay reflected because I think there is, there are some things right where you can only have to be paid paid yes. like we there so, is a discussion to be had pay them more is. and don't tip and right like, yes actually I I'm gonna lay my real I've been joking around a lot but I'm gonna lay my real opinion on wine here mm-hmm. and I'm gonna make people mad but this is every those mad people are just wrong um, <laughs> so I, th- I I think we need to do away with tipping tipping is bad it's a bad practice like. It's got perverse incentives, and uh, it's not consistent. And perverse meaning you're, it's undervalued. It's saying the job is not inherently good enough yeah. to do well on its own merit. Yeah, well, it's essentially placing the burden of just compensation on the guest instead of the employer. It relieves uh, that. Is, it, that is true. That is messed up. It, it relieves the employer of the burden of paying someone, you know, f- fairly. And um, the l- listen. The market decides what's fair, and you know we the market has accommodated tipping now. But I think it's an inconsistent standard because you know we always have to navigate and negotiate. Okay, how much is fair? As a customer, it puts that burden on you to assess. Oh, I want to be nice, and I don't want to feel guilty later, and I want to reward them. So is it fifteen? And most or is people it want to be nice. So yeah, now we're up to twenty. In, in uh, ten and years, it might be twenty-five. It could get outrageous. Yeah, it can get ridiculous. And so instead of letting the market decide based on the quality of the food and the you know the offerings of the restaurant and everything and having it be consistent it's now variable depending on you know what people you know what people think and also let me let me pose this uh, weakness whenever there's a squeeze imagine an economic squeeze or something like that because the employers don't have to pay you know their waiters or bartenders or whatever you know the tip they, they assume that they're going to be making tips, and so they get paid you know, a, a lot less. The customers, they're feeling a financial squeeze too. What's going to go first? The tip, right? Like they, they're still going to go out to eat, but they're going to tip. You know, they're not going to give a gift of 25%. They're going to say, they did a good job. I'll tip 15%, you know, so I won't feel guilty, but also you know, I can't afford to just be giving out money willy-nilly. Yeah. And so who, who feels the squeeze? The waiters in the middle who... You know, because part of their pay is essentially off the books, unregulated, at will. Uh, they feel the squeeze. It's inconsistent. And so I, I don't think that that's a good way to do things. In fact, you mentioned Japan earlier. And I think of everywhere that I know of, they do it right. So in Japan, when we went, service was great. Yes. And you don't tip. In fact, it's considered rude to tip uh, in Japan because the cultural expectation is that you know the restaurant the staff they're a team and so it's a more communal it's kind of eastern cultures are yeah. a little bit more communal 
It's a communal approach. They provide a good experience, and the strategy is that if you enjoy your experience, you'll come back again. You'll tell friends, and your business will grow, and you're getting consistent, positive experience. Whereas in the United States, we're more individualistic, which is normally a sentiment that you know I value very highly. And it also makes sense because of what you mentioned, how you know sometimes you'll get a server a waiter and they can read the room and you have a relationship with them for the duration of your meal. You know, you have a conversation, they're telling you their recommendations. It's a, it's a quick, intimate relationship with one person for a brief period of time. And so like there's a phenomenon, I don't know this for sure, but I would, I would assume in Japan, like there aren't that, there aren't that many instances where you're going to go visit a restaurant because of the waiter or waitress, you know, this person that, you really like, and so you're going to go there to see them. However, in the United States, I think there are lots of instances where, in fact, from my restaurant experience, I know there are cases where people just have a good relationship with you know, a waiter at a restaurant, yep. and so they just yep. make it their thing. They go to the restaurant, they talk and chat and catch up with the waiter, and they have this good experience, and then they have this tipping bond, you know, and they just always tip really good, and it's a thing. You're a regular, right? right. And that that reflects the individualistic nature of our culture because you have this bond, this one-on-one bond. It's not a team thing. And in fact, like if that favored waiter were to quit or move to a different restaurant, then those guests might stop coming to the restaurant as often. Um, right, right. And so, like you know, you can call that a strength or a weakness, but I think the consistency of the Japanese approach is good. You know, assuming that the wages being paid are also fair. And again, that's market determined. So if we were to just all of a sudden snap our fingers and tipping and the United States was gone, then the market would adjust and eventually accommodate that. And so that the, you know, the waiters would be paying what they would accept. The food would cost what we would be willing to pay. Everything would balance out again. Um, and we wouldn't have all of this inconsistency and awkwardness and uncertainty in tipping. You, um, if you recall, we went on a cruise together, and you yes. paid this giant thing up front, and it, it said something like tips are taken care of. It's part of the costs, and sort yeah. of alleviating that. And then our friend Logan, uh, he would tip in addition, and I was he, he chuckled at me. I was furious at him in a playful <laughs> way, but also like, you're screwing this up. Like You're like, making me are, look bad. You're, yeah, I feel well, guilty now, was, and I thought that I paid to relieve my but, tipping guilt. But I'm making the case you are like, like I can't. Yeah. Like, you're, here you are. Here, here's our chance at this system, and, and you're, yeah. you're, we're falling quickly because of you, Logan. And, uh, and I was... Yes, serious. Obviously, furious. There's no anger with him. Just more like, oh, can we please truly agree that? And part of it was me. Just yeah, again, it's perception of wanting to be nice and not wanting to have to pay. And now he's he's had, he's up to the game. But that's the problem. Well, that's the same problem that exists currently, and why we're at twenty percent perhaps yeah. is a new norm. Well, here's uh, another so, yeah. here's another thing that annoys me is, and you already touched on it earlier, is the inconsistency. Not just within an industry, like, you know, going to eat in a restaurant is the common thing. So you, there's yeah. inconsistency there, but there's also inconsistency incons- between industries. So you pointed out, you know, if you um, uh, get a tattoo, you know, then the tip, you know, is there. So you tip them, but you're a teacher and you don't get tipped. Your students don't give you a tip. I guess they leave an apple on your desk or something, but <laughs> there are a little like, leave you a tip. I mean, like yeah, sure, you, you get Christmas gifts or whatever. 
but sure. not not that frequently. But in the middle school, you get you get it all. It's just different cultures for different schools. That's also but inconsistency well, is the point. Is like what's right. going on here. And, and, and you know you don't tip your doctor. Uh, you don't tip. Um, you know you you might tip your cab driver. Uh, but do you tip your landscapers? Do you tip your school bus driver? You know, do you tip your mailman? Yeah, what's the like, standard? Who do you tip? You say something vague, like okay, the level of intimacy and one-on-one interaction. But like, that's why not are the standard. Our, I don't think not, that can't be the standard because you know you have an intimate relationship with your teacher, like you say, or your doctor, or you know whoever that you talk to normally. That's that can't be the standard. And then we feel very comfortable not tipping a doctor because they're paid handsomely. So like, well, so is it this weird sort of envy? Like, it's the it's this class based thing. Like, oh, you already have enough money. I don't need to tip you. Like, is yeah, that and, kind of and, the attitude? And conversely, you're a little. You're clearly you're you're bringing me my food. You're sort of a peasant. Here's is that what it is? Is it? Peanuts, is there? A, like, yeah. Is there a little bit of that? This tipping as oh, I'm the generous like person you know, above you here, take my gratuity. Is that, is there a little bit of that in there? Uh, I wonder if that's wrapped in. I mean, obviously it's not conscious or even like that would be more, I guess the word systemic, it's a loaded term, but that's the system we exist in. Like, yeah, I mean, it's not conscious. You don't, I mean, certainly I don't think that when I'm going to a restaurant is a, uh, like you sit there and they bring you whatever you say and I want sauces and well, look, I want this and it's and really cool. It's a beautiful. I love it. That's I feel true. Like a king. Like, well, and yeah. and and I'll also say this from the from the waiter side. Like when I was a waiter, you know, I was in college. I was started when I was in high school and, and in college, and I played up the oh I'm a student. You know, like I'm a young inexperienced student and i don't have any money and just trying to make you know, my I'm way working yeah. through school and it's you know if someone stripping. if <laughs> yeah <laughs> i probably made that joke and like you know the businessman and his wife eating a nice dinner if they wanted to feel like kings ordering sauces and they wanted to toss me a bigger tip then i was happy to accept that arrangement at the time yep. you know it was like okay i'll take your tip and i'll be the student and you can Tell me what sauces you want, and this is an okay arrangement with me. So, right. like, like I don't necessarily, you know, I, I pitched it negatively, but I don't know that it's perceived or or intended to be negative. But I do kind of think maybe there is that little bit of differential, uh, well, status differential involved. I, I, not only does the tip thing suggest your job isn't worth doing well unless you have external motivation, it also is putting you in constant psychological, like, low low-key stress of like are they going to give me that tip and you're, you're frustrated quite frequently dang it they didn't or uh, and then you start to attach your the quality of your work and the tip and the yeah like, I, I did a, and there's friction that you're inviting in where you did a good job today but you didn't see that represented or the world it, it just it's really it, it invites a sort of a chaos into the life of the waiter uh, seriously, like, like you just don't know. You're having to constantly be, like think about this thing and attach your quality of work to it. I don't know that that's instead of just saying, "Hey, we're a team. I take pride in this. I want to make sure they have a good experience." And and then you're not. If they were a little rude or aloof, because I'm sure that happened too. Oh, he was a little bit aloof, but they tipped 25 percent, so I'm okay with that. Or they were a little demanding and unkind, but they tipped well. So and all of a sudden you're your pay that that money made it okay that they were slightly rude i mean right. that's well, odd <laughs> let me also relay this to you there are many stereotypes when it comes to tipping 
and they are true. Those are true stereotypes. <laughs> like, in my experience, almost every stereotype you've heard of about tipping is true. And so, you know, there's a psychological component to that as well. Because tipping exists, because the tipping stereotypes are true, when you see the table of poor tippers, you know they're going to be poor tippers based on your experience. Like, well, now you have a choice to make. And if you are not, if you don't have a lot of integrity, you might say, I'm just not going to pay a lot of attention to them because they're going to tip poorly anyway. If you have integrity, then, you know, you'll give them the same service and then you'll get the poor tip and you'll go, ah, figures, I knew it. But like, and then you walk away like, a little bit worse, uh, you know, yeah, or having right, having a right, stereotype solidified exactly, in your mind. Exactly, exactly. A healthy thing to bring forward. Like, so right, yeah, it right. Invites, so it invites it invites, worse, it invites that and us if, to see the worst in each other. Is what that's right. Does. Yes. Yeah. And so, if the tipping culture didn't exist, and you know, you just got paid, you know, whatever wage you would accept, you know, for your employment, and you had pride in your job, and you did a good job. Well, then you wouldn't have any need to discriminate, you know, between your customers. You would just treat every, you would just give consistent service to whoever based on, you know, whatever, whatever standards you have internally anyway. And the tipping wouldn't corrupt anything. Um, right. And I think that would be better. And, you know, the argument, which I think is a sound argument, the incentives argument, you know, there's a point there. Like, I imagine that, you know, the, the people that I used to work with waiting tables probably feel passionately about this and would probably argue against me on this and they would say well you know there is an incentive for you to do a really good job there and i think i think that that's true but but i would say i would say you should just expect like you should take pride in your work anyway and you already made this point but there shouldn't need to be an additional incentive to do a good job if you're not doing a good job you should just be fired and that's it. But, that's, but that's here's the, the reality. Here's a counterpoint. Then, if some waiters are better than others, you know, some people are yeah. better at their job than others. Ideally, people out or performing at the highest levels should be rewarded more, um, and and so tipping enables that to take place. Uh, taking away so, that uh, disallows the highest performers to reap the benefits explicitly. Fair enough, and and that that is true. Doesn't that just level but, everything? Kind of like your pro- our process argument earlier. Well, like, what about just, so? Let's transfer this to another industry. For example, some teachers are better than others, and yeah. well, do you all get paid the same? Uh, um, pretty, I mean, pretty yeah, much, pretty much, kind of. You know, but yeah, it's like you're all on this road that's a similar pay raises and how long you've been in the game. So yes, pretty but, much. But you get different bonuses and you get promotions if you you know show that you're a good teacher. And if you're not a good teacher, then you but know, even you get promotions are like getting or, out of the classroom to admin that you might not want to do stuff fair, like that. So, sure, yeah. fair enough. But you know, you see my point, right? Like in other industries, you're where you're not you're not paid by tipping there are other rewards for being a diligent and good employee but in you know so why couldn't that sort of situation be set up in the restaurant industry as well it is actually yeah you can get better shifts you can get um yeah maybe you do get a raise become a manager and stuff or you just get a raise it's just a basic raise system like yeah you are right we see that you're one of our home run waiters here's the right you get a lot of good feedback or whatever and so you just get paid more from the employer not you know from your customers like i understand that in a way it's less direct because you know you're directly providing um service to the customers but but like in another way 
I think it's it's inappropriate to place the burden of determining how much money you're worth on the customer. That should be your employer determining that. And you should negotiate with them. If you feel that your work is undervalued, then you can go find another job um, somewhere else where you will get paid better. And if the you know, and if you're not doing a good enough job, then you know you can get fired or whatever. Like the the market will balance all of that stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm convinced. Screw tipping. Yeah. Well, so I was also going to ask then, because I thought I might convince you. Um, what do we do about that? Because this is a total, a totally other problem, right? Like, because neither you nor I would feel comfortable just saying, "Oh yeah, I'm not well, going to tip you, anymore." You know, you change the world one step at a time, baby. With I know. Right? Tip, I'm, I'm done tipping. And I know. It's, and, I'm, and it's because it, I'm a nice guy, <laughs> and I'm right. trying to change well, the world for the better. <laughs> yes, I know, right? And so, like, if only you could write that on the little line in the receipt, and you know, gradually convince everyone that you know your waiter. Here's a tip: tipping is a repressive, <laughs> you know, regressive. The market will balance it. Is, <laughs> The market will balance it, dude. Don't worry about it. Zero percent tip. Um, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Yeah. Like, obviously, that doesn't do any good. And if I were a waiter and got a zero tip, and that was the explanation, I would be like, well, you know, is that they're explanation going to like, yeah, pay my bills? Cheap. You know? Like, being, yeah. Yeah. And so, so like, yes. So it's not an option on the individual level. And yeah, yeah. What do but you do? sorry, and it's it's not it's not a practical, a practical option. Solution. It's not a practical yeah. solution to changing the system. However, I do want to ask before we move on from that solution: is it is it morally acceptable to take that position and 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 go through with it? If you believe that you're doing the right thing, then yes. I don't like if you. I don't. I can't. It's not for me. And I don't mean to say that morals are different across for everyone. I just mean that at the end of the day. I know that that would feel more like a justification for just not tipping because I wanted to save a little few bucks. And I know that like that for me, like that, even though I'd be espousing some higher belief system about doing the right thing, like I wouldn't feel it in practice. So therefore I'm not actually doing that. So I do think if you convinced yourself you were making a change and it was ha you believed this is the beginning of making change then yeah you can morally do it i just think you're you're also kind of naive and dumb <laughs> if you think you the singular person is changing that system and like i just think the, the reason that the reason i think you're dumb is the reason i think you can't i can't do it myself it's because well, i don't so, believe it i don't believe that that's the way to go about it and so since right, i don't well, believe so, it's the way but but even if you don't think even if you don't believe that you will have some larger, grander effect, like, is it still reasonable to to take that position on principle and say, well, yeah, it's not, I'm not going to change anything, but this is what I think is appropriate, and so this is how I'm going to behave. Like, it, is, is there a moral issue there? I mean, do you think still think that person is dumb, or like, do you just what what like what do you think about that? I think that they, I think that th their idealism is so. It is so out of alignment with reality at that point that like I, I kind of had this odd respect for someone if they're being sincere. Again, they're not being just a jerk trying not to tip. I respect them and I think and I personally have some judgments about their naivety about like, okay, there's your idealism and then there's like what you're doing 
to, to some degree, to your, sadly, what you're doing to these people. There's all these arguments about your, you shouldn't, it shouldn't be that you're doing something, but you are. You're occupying a time they could have served someone who would have given them probably a tip, you know, statistically. Yeah. And so you're That's... costing them something. And, and I just think that that reality and the zoomed in moment versus the abstract idealistic, like, belief. And so the cost is so tangible and the immediate. And, yeah. and then it's just like, I, I'm sorry, you're just being too idealistic and like, like, so I just disagree, that's, which is why I couldn't do it. Now, is there an idealist out there, perhaps Bennett himself, that like no. really believes it? Then, well, then I, I, do... can't, I can't think that they're a jerk. I can't sit there and say they're a jackass and like screw them. I'd actually go, uh, hats off to you for being willing to pay that social cost of, of, of kind of, you know, mildly ticking a lot of people off in the name <laughs> of some, something you really I, believe I, in. I, like, I do that. I do that in some regards but in, not with tipping. In other domains you're willing to do that but in this other one domains has a, I, have, but this has a just explicit financial cost that you can calculate and go i have uh and plus well, obviously waiters ways, aren't well off for the most part they're, they're not like so well, so that that can make a difference i mean in some so. ways the 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 clear-cut financial you know benefit should push me into taking that stand more right because not only do i get to you know, take my principled stand and do what I think is appropriate, but I also get to save money while doing it. So win-win, right? But, 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 yeah. but, but like, I, I agree with your point. I don't, I still tip. I still tip and I tip reasonably. Um, and like, this isn't where, this isn't where I take my principled stand. I wouldn't do it in this way. And for the reasons that you kind of allude to, which is because, you know, it's not like by not tipping, I am punishing the people who, you know, like it's just not an effective way to make change. The, the restaurant change. won't like go. Wow. Uh, well, and, and I might, should, yeah. it's not like the tables surrounding me of other people are going to notice and go, "Oh yeah, he's not tipping. He's taking a stand. I'm going to do it too." It's a private transaction, right? And so the only person who is going to be made aware that I am taking this principled stand is the server, who is going to be pissed the at me. They're yeah. going to be pissed, and they're not going to spread this idea. And they're not, their anger is going to be at me, not at their employer, where you know where it should be directed. Um, and the, and and it's a nebulous sort of anger because the employer, you know, it's not like they're consciously thinking, <laughs> like I'm placing the burden of paying my employees on the customer directly, and I don't have to do it. Like they're not consciously thinking that. They're just, you know, all restaurants in the U.S. have their servers get tipped, and that's just the that's the culture. That's the way it is. So. It's not. This, it's it's an indirect form of protest that doesn't. It has no chance of spreading and doesn't target anyone directly. So I don't think it's an appropriate method of of protest. Such an interesting thing too, because the protest is standing on the waiter. The waiter's the one paying the or that's the opportunity cost. They're the one paying the opportunity cost. Like they're the ones not getting the tip. Yeah. And like and th- and that's it. Feels like you've made a decision for them in some ways. And you're, I think you're onto something with it being private. This private interaction, like in order to turn the tables, we you know, that might be where you would have to put your energies. Like, what do we do about this? Well, maybe we we start. Well, obviously, this is a, almost a, a meme at this point. But like, begin a conversation <laughs> Jeez. about yeah. it. I I know, but like. It's a dumb no, thought you're right, because though. like all all things, obviously, making any change begins with ideas and and ideas that are lead to words and words to action, whatever. Mm. Um, usually, that's the way they flow. Um, but 
but I think we have to make it not private or something. Maybe I think the privacy yeah. is where it's at. Like that, well, there's something about that. It's never so, going to change if it's private and any stance you make is on the backs of the the waiter. Yeah. Like okay, so, so what do we do about that? The only the idea I came up with is I can't implement it, but I think a solution would be for business owners, for restaurant owners, to consciously take the stance that we don't accept tips here. Like, do not tip my employees. Yes. And like, we're serious tip, about it. Like, tips yeah. are not allowed. You know, if, if you catch one of your waiters taking a tip, then they're, you know, they're, they're, well, they're going to get disciplined or whatever. Or whatever. Yes. You, you just consequences. Don't, you don't accept that. Instead, you encourage your guests, if they have a, you know, if they have exceptional service or whatever, to, you know, leave a comment card or whatever. Like, to write make, a review make, on Yelp. Write a review yeah, on Yelp. Make it known. And you pay your employees you know, a, a wage that is market equivalent for what other servers make, or maybe a little bit better, um, what they would make if they got tips. And you enforce that, and you say, do not tip our waiters. Because honestly, I think that would be a smart business move, because I know as a customer, if I went to that restaurant, and I knew that I have no obligation to tip, like I would be relieved, right? I would go, ah, yes. oh, this is nice. Like I don't have to think yes. about it. I don't have to work. I don't have to gauge the service level and I don't feel the guilt when I don't tip and the servers, you know, assuming that they do an average job, which, you know, the law of averages tells us that they probably will, then great. You know, it's, it's a relief. I had a better experience because I don't have to think about this part of the dining uh, experience. I'm, to- I'm into what you're saying. I'm into what you're saying because I was going to say, well, how do you convince the, the restaurant owner to do this? Because they're going to have to pay more. But see it as advertising. See it as this unique thing that makes you stand out. We're all about customer service. And so so they're really big on saying you're going to have a good experience and you don't have to tip. Come to see us. And so all of a sudden, when we're at 20% tip, like, like so you you might have to pay. You can, 20% you can up, is huge. It's huge. You can up your uh, menu item prices by t- 10, 15% to take a lot of that cost out immediately and then consider the rest like sort of an, an advertising. If you can convince the owner that you are setting yourself apart initially, you're starting a, tr- a new wave of great customer service and like, hey, the no tipping restaurant or I don't know. I mean, you could call it no tips. I mean, it literally needs to not just be a little side thing. It's like good food, good service, no tips. No tips, like, right, yeah. You know, and like, right. you, that's your saying and like, and it's like this this wonderful place to come where everyone's treated equal. You could push an equality sort of like <laughs> message yeah, that people sure. are, are buying into these days, you know? Right. Like, I think well, you can ride that wave. Yeah. I mean, the the economic reality of it is that you would have to charge more for your food. Um, yeah. Because, like you say, you have to you have to pay your employees more, so you have to charge your customers more. But the customers should be willing to accept that. Should be willing. Well, see, and here's why I think we're we're never getting out of the tipping culture because, you know, if you go to buy a burger, you know, even if it's a nice burger, and it's twenty three dollars, like you're looking at that and going, I. Ain't paying $23 for a burger like that's ridiculous yeah. right yeah but if you go and you pay you know it's a fancy burger to sit down restaurant it's you know $17 and it has your avocado and your fried egg and whatever fancy schmancy stuff on it yeah. And you, yeah. then maybe that's a little bit more digestible for you but you're going to be tipping you know $6 on that burger um yeah. And that's not included in the number you see on the menu so you're more likely to eat there but in in our restaurant you know no tip restaurant the menu price would be, you know, twenty three dollars or whatever, and 
and it's going to be you're going to look at it and compared to all the other restaurants that include tips it's going to look like the prices are really high so i'm just saying that it puts the now it puts the effort on the customer to do some mental math and think about the value of their meal and a lot of people aren't going to do that they're just going to see the number and go wow prices are kind of high here um, but right. they don't factor in the fact that they're going to have to leave you know a multi-dollar tip you're right that it's just like people are kind of dumb is what you're saying we see we see a number and we go oh $12 for this, great. And they don't think about how their walkout cost is much higher. Than a lot that. higher, right. But I think, I still think it has a chance. Like, I think, well, actually, I think it's good business practice to, to assume that people aren't, just assume people aren't idiots. Ah, I have a hard time saying that because a lot of people, <laughs> yeah, lot of people so are sure. idiots. But I, I think, think you have I to think, make this a novelty. I think you have to go, no tips and like good service and we have something unique. Maybe it's like, Everyone does work as a team, so maybe they're not assigned to a maybe table you, as much as they're like they have some system that works really well, where you just hit a button and they come over. Like anyone nearby is coming over to see you. Like well, maybe, guaranteed maybe, someone at your table in thirty seconds or less, kind of thing. I don't know. May, you maybe know what I mean? you, like something novel about it. Yeah, maybe you gamify the the review giving process or the feedback process in in place of a tip, and you somehow work it into the routine like maybe you have a little touch screen on the table or you know something you know on the receipt instead of where the tip maybe it even still says tip but it's a scale of one to ten and you just fill it in for how good your server did or something something you know you see what i'm saying insert the feedback into the process but they don't actually have to pay money for a tip yeah Um, and it becomes a unique thing that way you get the feedback and you can adjust your you can give your raises and do whatever you got to do but the um, the guest still feels like they're rewarding really good service or giving criticism on bad service. I wonder if there's a way like I don't know this is a dumb side idea, but if there's a Dave and Buster's style restaurant with that video games and stuff, so so if you write a review, you get a you get ten dollars worth of tokens, free tokens, or like you get. You know, I mean, Chick-fil-A does this whole, like, if you fill it out, you might get a free chicken Dude, sandwich I, and all sorts of I've stuff. I take advantage so. of all of these sorts of things. Like, I've probably had hundreds of free Chick-fil-A sandwiches from filling out their surveys. Although, they've changed and, like, you don't, they, they don't put surveys on their receipts. It's um, the app, right? They wanted to go toward the app. Yeah, they moved toward the app. I, they may still put it on the receipts, but they just don't give you your receipt as much anymore. Um and and the Chick-fil-A where I am still hasn't opened up inside, which is just ridiculous. Um, that is so ridiculous. <laughs> the, but but they've um, they're apparently renovating the entire inside. Because okay. I asked them the other day, and I was like, "Why aren't you guys open yet?" They're like, "We're well, the owner, you know, it just hasn't been wanting to open, and so they're just going to renovate the whole inside." I was like, oh, "Well, uh, whatever, right, um, whatever." But. So that's an interesting, like, so if we don't tip fast food, and if you talk about people in the fast food industry that are, that, who needs, like, money? Chick-fil-A. If, you know, like. Chick-fil-A <laughs> deserves tips, you know, if that's yeah. your standard, is quality of service. They'd be the service. ones getting a lot, yeah, quality, they'd be they the have one. great quality, the best quality of service. But, like, but they don't have tip jars or anything right. at, you right. know, And so food. they're still, they're an example of you can have good service in a fast, in a, in a quick food industry that doesn't, you know, doesn't have any financial compensation for at least or i shouldn't well, say is that true don't do they, they don't have tips i don't know do they probably, ma- i mean 
do they make better money than I, you know, I, McDonald's they don't make, or something? I don't know if they make better money, but I know that the the way the franchises go, it's not they don't just hand out franchises if you have the money and go, I want to open up a franchise. McDonald's will sell you their franchise like immediately. Yeah, you want one here, fine, take yeah. it. And right. and and Chick Fil A is super like thoughtful about it and interviews you and like you know they're a Christian organization, so that's they, they, they make sure in that front, but they also make sure that you have like a plan and you've done, like, I don't know, it's just like not easy to open a Chick-fil-A franchise without uh, pretty much convincing them you're going to do a dang good job at it too. So, oh, man. Uh, Chick-fil-A and, and then that makes the difference. So, yeah. Chick-fil-A um, is just the rock star of the fast food world. And like Chick-fil-A I mean, is better than even some non-fast food restaurants. Like they're just, they're nailing it. At by the way, interesting. This will probably be my last thought because I really have to run to the restroom. But um, they, there's a new push because there's the chicken sandwich wars, right? And we've talked about that before. There's lots of different chicken sandwiches on the market, and they're like the OG, they're the original. So, mm-hmm. um, what's the newest push? Because all these sort of anti Chick Fil A campaigns, for political reasons, uh, have not been particularly successful in hurting their their pockets at all. If not, if not, actually help line their pockets with counter people saying no i like chick-fil-a i'm supporting them so um now i'm noticing this on little cooking shows i'm seeing or little like just youtube so they'll try their sandwiches and say something like uh so they're they're like oh kfc's is actually pretty good popeye's is really really great mcdonald's is not that great uh, Chick Fil A is the worst. It tastes like hate or something like that. And they just, <laughs> and they're consistent. They're sort of this consistent push to say that the new attempt is to say that the sandwich just is not tasty, and they're actually ranking it low on taste. And I think that's just the worst strategy you can make because oh yeah, because it just it not ruins true. your credibility. It ruins <laughs> yeah, your you're, credibility. You're now just gonna deny like that the chicken sandwich is delicious. Like, well, denying reality—that's a—that's a trope for the, these kinds of people. So, yeah, um, that's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah. Chick Fil A is Chick Fil A is tops. Um, tops, man, I'm digging tops. it. That's the new—that's the new lingo. Bringing it back, yeah. adventure etymology like on that one. Just the tops. It's just the tops. Just mad tops. Uh, um that's all i have on tipping you have to have you have to pee everything. so why don't we just the restroom yeah. in things okay uh, in things on that note you can i think go that's a good note to end empty your empty your bladder yeah we'll just all think about that i feel like we've probably ended before on this note like i just i just use the i i'm very hydrated and i use the restroom before doing this and then inevitably we get to about this point and i go i'm like you know, not talking about it to the point that now I'm just like, I have to talk about it because it's, I've got to end this. <laughs> so, all right. All right. Well, that'll, that'll do it. Peeing. <laughs> 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 <laughs>